Join us virtually this week for the 2020 Zero Mental Health Symposium, which starts on Wednesday. The Mental Health Association Oklahoma will bring together state, regional, and national experts to focus on healing from historical trauma during this three-day event. And we want to thank our sponsors who make this event possible with a special thank you today to the George Kaiser Family Foundation. I couldn't help to think that, man, my great-great-grandfather was running with my great-great-grandmother and my great-grandfather in her belly during this time. Like, they were running. They were experiencing what these Black people are experiencing in this series. You're listening to the Mental Health Download from the nonprofit Mental Health Association Oklahoma and the Zero Mental Health Symposium. I'm Matt Gleason. On today's episode, which is officially my favorite episode we've ever done, we're exploring the acclaimed HBO series Watchmen and how it relates to healing from historical trauma, which is the theme of this week's virtual Zero Mental Health Symposium here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. As many fans know, the 1921 Tulsa Race Massacre plays a key part in the series. And our guest is Nehemiah D. Frank. Nehemiah is a Tolson and founding publisher and editor-in-chief of the Black Wall Street Times. Nehemiah is a former school teacher and assistant principal and now spends his time advocating for parents and students in Black, Indigenous, and people of color communities. Nehemiah wrote the Black Wall Street Times piece, How the Watchman Educates America on the 1921 Tulsa Race Massacre. And you can find a link to that piece in our show notes. And I'm really happy to report that Nehemiah is a previous Zero Mental Health Symposium attendee and will be joining us again this week for the three-day conference that culminates in a keynote address by Hannibal B. Johnson. Hannibal's keynote is titled, The 1921 Tulsa Race Massacre and Historical Racial Trauma. As Hannibal's keynote description says, he will explore the history of racial historical trauma in the U.S. and Oklahoma and discuss how we must think critically about our strategies for addressing the present legacy of historical racial trauma in America to pursue justice and healing. Oh, Watchmen spoilers ahead. You have been warned. Okay, let's get the conversation started. The Mental Health Download starts now. Nehemiah, thank you so much for being here on the Mental Health Download. Thank you so much for having me, Matt. To start off our discussion, I would love for you to read a few excerpts from your Black Wall Street Times piece. Absolutely. Former slaves and their descendants managed to build this Black Mecca of an ecosystem nicknamed the Black Wall Street. And these Black self-determined people did so without boots and bootstraps. A community that possessed its own successful school system that produced their communities, doctors, lawyers, educators, business people, pilots, and the list goes on. The community destroyed in HBO's Watchmen was based on fact. It actually existed. Now, thanks to filmdom, more people are discovering the Black excellence of the Black Wall Street. Fantastic. Thank you for reading that. I, I just love that piece. And it really does lead us right into our conversation today. Before I get into my questions, I would love for people to learn more about you. So if you could just briefly kind of tell us, you know, we're talking about a, a comic book. So let's let's hear Nehemiah's origin story. Yeah. So I was born in Tulsa, Oklahoma in 1983. And before my birth, my uh, 
father, my father's father and his father, we are all descendants of the original Black Wall Street Greenwood community. So it really kind of resonates with me, this Watchmen uh, opening film that we got to see uh, last fall. But more so, I recently moved back to Tulsa probably about seven years ago, and I saw some gaps in the community when it came to media and how uh, the media was portraying the Greenwood, the Black Wall Street of today. And so that's kind of how I got involved with building the Black Wall Street Times, which is a news media outlet. It's absolutely free. And uh, we pretty much retell the story of, of Black Wall Street's history and keep people informed of what's going on in Black Wall Street today. So let's get into these questions. You know, since, since Watchmen came out, and people around the globe now know that the 1921 Tulsa race massacre actually happened, which still blows my mind that there are still people who I know who um, I actually live I actually live a few miles from Black Wall Street, and I know friends and neighbors, uh, family who had no idea that this actually occurred up until uh, recent years. So, you know, how has Watchmen helped, or maybe not helped, in the process of healing? from this historical trauma? Well, I will definitely say as far as it it helping, bringing attention to it, as you had mentioned, a lot of people did not know about uh, the Greenwood story and about how just two generations after the uh, enslavement or the freedom, the liberation of, of, of Black Americans, that they were able to build this prosperous community almost uh, out of thin air. You know, of course, there were some some things in place for this to happen. A lot of African-American came uh, to Oklahoma or Northeast Oklahoma through the Trail of Tears. And, and some of them even came as, as freedmen. And so these freedmen were giving land allotments and those allotments were how they were able to begin the seeds of, of what became known as the Black Wall Street. And so a lot of people are just now becoming attuned to this, this story of American resilience uh, because of the film or the HBO series uh, Watchmen, where Regina King plays one of the granddaughters of one of the descendants uh, who actually survived the massacre. Today, we're, we still have a, a few. I think we have like one or two left. One of them is actually living in, in Tulsa right now. It's been positive because it it's brought a lot of attention to this to this story. But as far as uh, the negative, I would say probably the only negative aspect of it is the mental trauma that <laughs> comes with being triggered and reminded that, oh, this happened to people who look like me. You know, if you're a Black American, it's just a reminder that, oh, um, you know, justice still needs to be served. The government with the, the Black taxpaying citizens offered their or, or paid their dues to didn't come to their protection when they needed the government to do so. Before you actually did watch Watchmen, what did you expect the series would do with the telling of the actual race massacre? You know, were you optimistic? Were you like, uh, I don't know if they're going to get this right? What, what, what was your kind of feeling before you saw it? I would definitely say that I was of the premature opinion that they were not going to land the massacre correctly in that opening scene. 
But man, when I watched it, I was in tears. I watched it with my mother. I don't even think we said anything during the entire episode. And I had chills all over my body while watching. And I couldn't help to think that, man, my great-great-grandfather was running with my great-great-grandmother and my great-grandfather in her belly during this time. Like they were running. They were experiencing what these Black people are experiencing in this series. And what stories were passed down through your family about the massacre? So we, the only story that was passed down, and I think it was probably because they just didn't want to speak about it. Like there's this silence even today in uh, Tulsa's black community for of those who are the descendants of the massacre um, where, you know, we're not passing down trauma. We're trying to just get past it. But in doing so, we're actually harming our, our, ourselves by not talking about it. But I remember when I was probably, maybe I think I was probably, it was probably before I was 12, my grandfather had set me down and told me of this great fire that had taken place in Tulsa. And I don't remember much of the story, but I remember the serious look on his face and my other cousins kind of like, like us all being quiet and and trying to listen, but really just wanting to go outside and play because we were kids, right? We didn't quite understand why he wanted to tell us this. Perhaps he saw something on television and was like, hey, I need to tell you about what happened in Tulsa in 1921. But from other elders in the community, I had heard stories of Black bodies being loaded onto trains. The deceased bodies of Black people who were the victims were loaded onto trains and just sent out into, you know, the countryside. And, uh, you know, that was pretty much the extent of the stories that I had been given. Yeah. That was very moving. Thank you for sharing that. Okay. So, you're going to be attending the Zero Mental Health Symposium um, as we explore healing from historical trauma. You know, can you pick out a character in the series and talk about how we see that character? We see their historical trauma, but maybe we start to actually also see them heal from that historical trauma. Hmm. I would probably say the closest person that actually heals from their historical trauma would be probably Will Reeves. He lives the longest, right? So he's the one that witnesses the bombing of Black Wall Street, right? He's in the crate. The the the, the bullets are piercing the the wooden crate that he was placed into by his mom and his mom and dad, and he never sees them again. But as as the story goes through as a series, right, these episodes later, he grows into the the middle age character of Will Reeves, and which is played by Javon Depo. And in his middle age, you know, he's still you could tell that he's still dealing with this trauma of of white supremacy, of being of trying to understand it and, and navigate it the best way he knows how he makes certain moves, you know, such as, you know, returning violence that had been bestowed upon him in his youth to members of the of the clan that are terrorizing black people in his middle age. And then as he gets older, you know, he meets his granddaughter and is able to get some sort of healing by, you know, aiding in her fight to end white supremacy. 
when his fellow officers take him and they put a noose around his neck and they string him from a tree and they act like they are and put a bag over his head and they're lynching him. They do cut him down, but that was, that was rough for me. What was it? What were your thoughts in that moment of seeing that happening on screen? It was horrible. I had flashes of the equal justice uh, museum in Montgomery, Alabama, where they have uh, a floor that descends into I guess you could say a reincarnation of of what a slave uh, vessel uh, would have would have been, right? The belly of the ship where the slaves laid to go through the middle passage to the new world, and there was a feeling of of suffocating to death because the air was unfit for respiration. But also, they've made you know these wooden footprints because as the floor descends. You see the uh, memorials and the names of Black Americans who were lynched over the decades in America. Once you get to the bottom of this incline, you know, the, the, the memorials are six feet and then eight feet and then 12 feet in the air, which, is, which symbolizes the lynching of black Americans going, you know, into the air or being thrown off of a bridge with a noose around their neck to swing to their deaths. And so it was it was very triggering. I think that was probably the second time that I shed tears while watching the Watchmen series. Yeah. And and that that episode is called This Extraordinary Being and it's told mostly in black and white. It follows Angela Abar, who is Will Reeves' granddaughter, experiencing the memories of Will. You know, after he's almost lynched um, and mocked, he he keeps that that bag and he keeps that noose and that becomes his part of his his costume as uh, hooded justice and he takes on the show's version of the of the KKK you know and and that episode is powerful in so many different ways but you know we we actually Angela through this futuristic drug is actually experiencing her grandfather's memories and and we through that are experiencing those memories and so her life has changed because of this but, you know, how do you think Angela through getting to, to see through his eyes, how do you think that maybe helped heal from historical trauma? I would say it helped in the sense that as time passes, and this is even in, you know, our non our non-fictional world, that we heal when we see our children grow to do better than ourselves. Um, and then I think and to, and to, and to see the, see society improve, you know, as the next generation follows the next. And so I think that that's how he heals. And, and, and furthermore, I would say that she chose to take on the same profession of improving society as he had done, you know, while he was a police officer, she chose the same path because she wanted to improve society. You know, the, in the last seconds of the show, she's taken that egg that her uh, husband, uh, Dr. Manhattan, left her. And you think, and she goes out to the pool and, you know, she puts her foot on the pool to see if she can walk on water like he did. And then, you know, and then it ends. So, 
if, if, if we see what happens after that, is she walking on water or is she not? I think she falls in the water. <laughs> Why? I, I, I don't know. I think it's probably just because she is, you know, she's not a supreme being. Like she's not from another world. She's, you know, still a, still a human being from Earth and has to deal with the realities of what she's fighting. So her fight is, her fight as a superhero is, you know, it's different than, it's different than that of uh, the doctors in our fictional, in our non-fictional world. Like we have, you know, the Dr. Tiffany Crutchers and, you know, other, other people who are, they just seem superhuman because they're that drive, that energy that they have and that they, and they use to move through this world, like just seems like it doesn't drain. At least we never see it. Right. So they appear to be superhuman and have supernatural powers. I love that. That changes my whole thoughts on how I wanted that series to end. So thank you. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. I want to give much-needed praise to three of our Zero Mental Health Symposium sponsors, the Oxley Foundation, the Zero Families Foundation, and Maxine and Jack Zero Family Foundation. Thank you so much for your support. And just a reminder to everyone that you can register for the Zero Symposium right now at zerosymposium.org. Let's get back to the show. If there is one character in the series you relate to the most, who would that be and why? I would probably say uh, Regina King's character, Angela A. Barr, because like Angela in, in in the series, she didn't realize how connected she was to this Black Wall Street story. And it was that that was the same for me. She didn't know, learn about what happened in 1921 until she was an adult. Mm-hmm. I didn't learn about what happened in 1921 until I was a, an adult. And I didn't even really realize that my lineage and that my father's family owned a property and had stores in the original Black Wall Street until I started dibbling around Ancestry.com, right? They should be paying me for giving them this plug, by the way. (laughs) Um, But yeah, and so as she went to the Greenwood Cultural Center in the series, I went to Ancestry.com and as she looked on the tree and looked for leaves, I looked on my family's tree and looked for leaves and, you know, it helped me kind of piece together my history and my connection to America's original Black Wall Street. And then I would also say, you know, my job at the Black Wall Street Times and as a community activist and organizer is to combat white supremacy. I'm happy that I don't have to fight it like her and <laughs> and neither of those people try to like physically kill me, although I have received threats before. But you know, I've never been in in a park and a bomb have, had gone off or at a funeral, right? So, you know, I'm thankful for that. But I definitely feel a real connection to Angela Abar's uh, character. If if I came to you, Nehemiah, and I said, look, I have these this futuristic pill that like, like Angela was able to, she took it and she was able to relive the experiences of her grandfather. If I said, look, Nehemiah, I've got these pills, you know, from your ancestors who were at the Tulsa Race Massacre, would you take them? 
Oh my goodness. I've never, I would have never seen that question coming. Hmm. I don't, I don't think I would, honestly. Well, I wouldn't have the knowledge that I have today, right? I wouldn't have the tools to be able to fight white supremacy unless I owned one of the newspapers back then, which had also been burned down, right? And bombed during the massacre. I just, I think, I think not because I don't know how I would have dealt with what they dealt with emotionally. I don't know how I would have responded to, to seeing that in, in the black community, uh, you know, someone will occasionally say, so what would you, what would you do if you could go back during slavery? And I'm like, well, what, it depends what I could go back with. Like, you know, that, that show naked and afraid and you get so many tools to go to, to take with you. So I'm thinking like, Oh, well maybe I would take a machine gun and, you know, blast a bunch of, you know, evil slave owners. But, you know, it's kind of hard to really imagine what that would be like. So, so one of the interesting, so I, I was a fan of the, the graphic novel, uh, Watchmen, which I read many years ago and enjoyed immensely. And so I know the history of the character, Dr. Manhattan and the Watchmen made so many better, so many awesome choices, you know, setting it 30 years, um, after the graphic novel was brilliant. But one of my favorite things that the, the creators did was Dr. Manhattan is, you know, traditionally white in the graphic novel. He got his powers through, you know, comic booky, you know, radio and things and became this superhuman blue alien who was all powerful, but also very reticent to use his power to like, you know, see, make the world as he saw it, which I think was one of the things that uh, Will Reeves at the end, towards the end of the, the series actually was like, he could have done more. And that's kind of why I was excited that Angela may have gotten his powers. Like maybe Angela would have, you know, made the world as she would have wanted it. But I love your perspective that she's already a superhero. But the, the creators, they, they made Dr. Manhattan when he decides to take the form of a black American man and raise a family with Angela. I, I love that he is a black American. And, and, you know, and I, I also love just as with, with Black Panther, I loved how powerful that film was. And that finally, you know, there, cause we, 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 you know, Americans and the, the globe loves superheroes, but they're vastly white men. And to have, you know, when Black Panther came along, that was phenomenal. And then for Dr. Manhattan to be black, what did that mean to you for to see finally he had another great representation of a, uh, of a black American superhero? I think that that was probably one of the reasons why I that one of the reasons that drew me to the the series besides them telling the Black Wall Street story, right? But, you know, to go further, just Regina King's role as a, as, as, you know, the leading character and her being um, a fighter for justice, like she was equally uh, a superhero as Dr. Manhattan was to me. And, you know, she, and the tie between Wakanda and the Dora Malaha went warrior women of Wakanda. Like we don't see women in those types of roles. And here we have, you know, Angela Abar being, you know, physically tough and, and fighting and being at the head 
I, I just love the, the final episode where <laughs> she goes out, you know, guns ablazing to take out uh, those white supremacists and, you know, to protect her husband. And I, I love that. And then when he shows up and starts blowing people's heads up, that's, it was very satisfying. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. All right. So, overall, what do you hope Watchmen does to not only educate people about the Tulsa Race Massacre, but to also inspire them to make changes in their own lives because of it? I think you I think you pretty much just said it like I hope it does inspire them to make changes in their lives and brings awareness to the 1921 Tulsa race massacre. I liked the way that this was put together and how it was served to the public. It was easy to swallow for for a lot of for a lot of people who had not originally known about injustices against blacks in America. All right. So, as we wind up our conversation, I'm curious about what you're excited about coming to the Zero Mental Health Symposium. What are you, what keynotes, or I don't know if you've had a chance to look fully at the agenda yet, but Hannibal Johnson is one of our keynotes. I'm so excited about. Actually, let's let's start there because he's one of the foremost experts on the race massacre. He's written books. He's right. he's brilliant. So, what what do you admire about Hannibal? And you know, what are you looking forward to about hearing him speak at the symposium? Hannibal, what do I admire about him? I like everything. <laughs> He's extremely smart. He went to Harvard. I mean, got a law degree from there. This guy is, he's top notch. I think he does a really great job at documenting our history. And I think our community, I feel like he's completely underrated in, in Tulsa and to Black America. I think that someday we will look back and say, wow, that, that was Hannibal Johnson. And, you know, children across America are able to study the 1921 Tulsa race massacre. But not only that, the, the brilliance and excellence of Black history that was in that space called Greenwood. So I'm excited for him to speak. I'm hoping, so is Tim Y still coming? Yeah. Yeah, I have been following him for a while, so I can't wait to hear uh, what he's going to say and bring to the, the symposium this year. And a few years ago, I remember going and in, in, in meeting, what is his name? Oh my gosh, I can't believe I just drew a blank. Cornell West. Cornell West from Tulsa, right? So I believe I forgot his name. He's from our community. And I have a picture of him like on the wall somewhere at my house. And you asked him a question. I remember you asking the question from the audience. It was a great question. <laughs> yeah. I, and I can't even remember what question I asked him. Yeah. So, I mean, I would love to hear from him again, but I'm definitely excited to hear and virtually meet Tim Weiss. Hopefully. And, and what do you think about, you know, he is a white man. He's he's Jewish. And so, he, he, he also speaks to beyond just racism. He talks about, you know, being Jewish and having his, the Klan threaten him and his family. You know, what, what do you think? Because he is one of the leading experts on anti-racism. So, what do you think? Why is it important to have a white man speaking about anti-racism? You know, you kind of spoiled it for me because you told me that he was Jewish. So, now I don't consider him like white, white. <laughs> <laughs> the only way that I can, you know, <laughs> answer that. So, like, I mean, when you say that he's Jewish, I'm like, oh, well, he's from a marginalized community. So he's in the same boat <laughs> that we're in. I mean, we might be at the bottom of the boat and he might be a little bit closer to, you know, an air hole where he can breathe. But we're still, you know, below deck. But I, you know, 
for the people that don't know that he's a Jewish, a Jewish man, I think it's powerful. White people need to be able to also get out in front and, you know, come clean with how they feel about what's going on. And I think that who better to speak who better to educate white people about white supremacy than white looking people? <laughs> right. Um, they're more likely to uh, listen and internalize what is being said to them. They can get past, you know, they don't have skin color to, to block their or to cloud their, you know, ideas about the messenger. Yeah. And and you were, so when you saw Dr. Cornell West, also at that symposium, we had Dr. Joy DeGruy and she's returning. Oh, yeah. She's amazing. Maybe what do you remember about her presentation? I believe that was in 2017. And what are you looking forward to hearing from her? I am so happy that uh, you asked about her because her research and her, her seminar that day it did something to my soul. I remember when she was talking about the slave dungeons in West Africa and West African slave castles where Africans had walked, you know, hundreds of miles from inland to the to the shores of the West African coast to dock the ships and go to the, you know, the West Indies, South America, North America to never see their families again. Right. And she had told this tale of how in one of the the slave dungeons they were the archaeologists were were digging and they what they thought was the floor wasn't the floor but was actually two feet of defecation that the slaves had you know that had come from the the people that were standing in the slave dungeons and so she had said oh well you know africans had to st- had to stay in the slave dungeons for weeks, two, three weeks at a time. And they were made to stand in, you know, one, two to, you know, three or even more feet of their own defecation. And I remember looking at the white girl that was sitting at the table next to me and she was in tears. And I was just thinking, this is how we build empathy for you know, the next generation, like we have to truthfully tell the stories of, you know, the transatlantic slave trade. And if we could tell them, you know, as authentically as Dr. Joy had had did at the, at the symposium, you know, we're going to be on a better track to a more empathetic America and compassionate country. I really do believe that. Am I, I, I'm not, I'm not kidding. I'm not exaggerating. This is my favorite podcast that I've ever done. I am so honored that you're here. You are just fantastic. So as we end our show, our tradition is to ask our guests to close us out with one last bit of wisdom. So, and you've already shared so much wisdom. Thank you so much. But Nehemiah, take it away and we'll be done. I would say do your best to register and get to the symposium. And I'm not saying that because I'm being paid. I am not. I'm telling you this because, you know, it it is a space for healing. We are looking for healing in this country. And the only way to do that is to connect with other human beings who have the same desire to be made whole.